Let's go to the, to the Word of God. Matthew chapter 17, verse number 22. We'll kind of conclude. Um, Jason, um, when, I was, when we were concluding this morning, he said something that uh, really arrested me, kind of changed the direction of tonight. And uh, through driving and uh, just thinking, he took us into a different direction that the band just totally confirmed. Um, and so... We'll try to give uh, an understanding to the power of this man, Jesus, and how we just saw him display his power at the bottom of a mountain and then him exhibit how powerful his name is at the top of the mountain. And now, as he is preparing us for his departure from this physical earth just to come back, we will discuss how powerful he really is. Just in two short verses. Matthew chapter 17, verse 22. Are you there? There you'll find these words. Uh, and as they were gathered together in Galilee, Jesus told them, the son of man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. The son of man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise up. Some translation says it this way, they will kill him, but on the third day, he will get up. And they were deeply distressed. Um, for a topic or an idea tonight, I just want to um, go with this idea that, that Jesus is a bad man. just want to deal with that. Man. Jesus, the name, who he is, who you choose that's one bad brother right there. This gospel is interesting because it doesn't seem like this particular passage would fit together in this demonstration or example of the power of Jesus. And then, brother, how it would take us to this area called the cross. Unless we understand the total context of Scripture, we will depict and take this particular passage out and isolate it while isolating it we will do eisegetical work to the text which is putting our own interpretation into it Matthew who is a very intelligent brother does this intentionally I mean Mark talks about it as well as Luke but this is the second time that Jesus will predict his death and predict or speak and prophesy about his resurrection. And each time he does so, it's really at very interesting circumstances and situations, both location and position, when Jesus does so. I mean, he just finished doing it prior to going to the Mount of Transfiguration. I mean, Matthew, when he is hanging out with his boys, crossing over that Sea of Galilee, standing on this rock at Caesarea Philippi, while looking at what many of the Jews would consider as the Gate of Hades, this particular location that is underneath them at the mouth of the Sea of Galilee, he asked this famous question that our salvation and our confession of Jesus is hanging on when he asked these 12, who do men say that I am in chapter 16? And then, of course, they give that famous soliloquy by saying, some say that you are John the Baptist, while others say, and Jesus says, that's not important. Now, let me flip the script and play with y'all just a little bit. Who do you say that I am? 
And then that big mouth cusser by the name of Peter opens his big mouth once again and says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, It is not flesh and blood that has revealed that to you. And upon this rock, based on that confession, I will build my church. This second time he makes this declaration after defeating an enemy in the presence of the 12. And yet and still he'll say it one more time while he's on his way to Jerusalem heading to the cross. The question is, is what is the importance of this and how is it any way connected to what just occurred? Remember, Jesus has just delivered a boy who was possessed oft times in fire and oft times in water, declaring him as the Messiah. He has just literally put his stamp of approval on who he is. He just told three of the disciples without even telling them, but with a voice from heaven speaking, saying the exact same words that was spoken in Matthew 3 when he was baptized at the River Jordan, where we have the appearance for the first time physically since the beginning in Genesis chapter 1, the presence of the triune Godhead where God the Father speaks, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. God the Son is present in the River of Jordan, and God the Holy Spirit comes down descending as a dove. For the second time, God says the same exact words in the presence of prophecy and law and three disciples listen to him. And then he shows us the display of him being God the Father wrapped in God the Son clothing while showing and transfiguring himself to display his glory while yet on earth. And then defeats an enemy in the presence and tells them that in order for you to be able to do so, your faith must be, your faith must be dug deep into this man named Jesus Then the next text, the next passage, he breaks the heart of the disciples and tells them, I'm going to die. What kind of man is this? What kind of leader would tell individuals right after a great victory that I'm not going to be with you? kind of leader would, would, would break the hearts of men that have left their fishing trade, left the IRS agency, and have come to find and follow this individual named Jesus that everybody in the church can't stand, but everybody in the street loves. And just to tell them three years later, I'm going to die. I wonder if there is something behind this message, though that paints a bigger picture on the power of this great man and the importance of why he says certain things so that you can choose him, even here on this mountaintop. I believe in these short short two verses, he gives us three understandings of who he is and the power that he displays. And if you would just give me a little bit of time, I'll be like TLC, creep through the text and make like a basketball and bounce. First thing he does is, He shows us that he is omnipresent. That word omnipresent means that he could be everywhere at the same doggone time. Understand what the text says as as they were gathered in Galilee. That's important and that's interesting. Because Matthew does something that is interesting. He gives us the location of where Jesus gives his words. And he doesn't just do this just to be doing it. He's not Siri and he's not Alexa. 
He does not have to tell you where he is in order for you to understand who Jesus is. He does it intentionally and on purpose. And in my personal uh, observation of the text, he is doing it intentionally to show that the location of where Jesus says it has some spiritual connection to where we are today. It's Galilee. The confession that Peter has made with Caesarea Philippi. Then they leave Caesarea Philippi and they go near Mount Hermon. And they go from a mountain to the base of the mountain, now to Galilee. Understand the territory of Galilee is divided into two sections, upper and lower Galilee, with a deep valley that separates the two. Upper Galilee literally goes to the extent of about 3,000 feet high, while lower Galilee contains valleys, it contains rich soil. Upper Galilee is sometimes referred to as Galilee of the Gentiles. It's where those that Jews did not want to hang out with hung out. While Lower Galilee was the place of Nazareth where Jesus was born. It's interesting that Jesus, this text does not say that Jesus spoke these words in Upper or Lower Galilee, but as passing through both, he says these words almost as if he is trying to suggest to each and every one of us that no matter whether you're in Upper Galilee or Lower Galilee, Jesus knows exactly where you are. Let me explain. Upper Galilee would represent us prior to knowing who he is. Lower Galilee are individuals that think they've always known who he is. And Jesus says, no matter where you are, I am already there where you are. Please understand what he is doing is he is killing the notion that many of our churches have given us, which is false, that we met and found the Lord. Understand this, you cannot find somebody who's never lost. It is not you that found the Lord, it is the Lord that found you. And you should be grateful that the Lord found you and you didn't find him because if you try to find the Lord, you'll be looking for the rest of your life. But the grateful good part about it and the shout that you should have tonight is that while you were sinking deep in sin, Jesus still knew exactly where you were. Brothers, this afternoon I went to go check on my wife. And when I got to my wife's door of the room, I knocked on the door. My wife said, who is it? Now that made me bad because I'm like, who you expected to be? Were you expecting somebody else? I'm trying to figure out. Jesus don't have to now. He can walk through. I sat through the door. I said, baby, it's, it's your husband. It's me. She said, how are you here and there? How are you in the house, but you're supposed to be at Hume Lake? What my wife was saying is, is, babe, you must be amazing that you can be at Hume Lake speaking, but at my door. But what my wife did not understand is that in order for me to be present at her door, I had to be absent from Hume Lake. And the difference between me and Jesus is that Jesus does not have to be absent in one place to be present in another place. But because he is omnipresent, he can be here with you men right now, but taking care of your family off the mountaintop. And that is the beauty of it. I need every man to say, Jesus can be everywhere at the same time. Now that's the beauty of how, of how awesome that he is. It's because before you found him, before, excuse me, you were connected to him, Jesus was there with you. That's the reason why you are still breathing today. That's the reason why, men, you are still alive today. It's because before you knew who he was, he knew exactly who you were. He knew exactly where you would be, when you needed to be there. He stepped in the car before you could even drive the car. And many of you can testify tonight that the reason why you made it home 
home from being drunk all night at a bar or at a club was not because you knew how to drive drunk, but because Jesus stepped into the car, drove you home, got you into your parking stall safe, and today you are still wondering how you made it home drunk. It's because Jesus was there. That's the beauty of the Jesus that we serve. That's what the text is attempting to show us is that while yet in Galilee, positioned between those that were supposed to be connected and those that were not connected, Jesus was there holding both together. Every time we see Jesus, he is standing in the middle. When he's on the Mount of Transfiguration, he is standing between Elijah and Moses. He's not picking a side. When he's on the cross, he is in the middle between a thief that would confess and a thief that would refuse. Almost to suggest that whichever confesses and whichever doesn't, I'm still here. And tonight in this sanctuary and in this chapel, Please understand, brothers, that whether or not you choose to accept him tonight or if you've already accepted him, he is still here. But not only is he omnipresent, this scripture says that he's also omniscient, which means that he's all-knowing. Look at what he says, brothers. And Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. It's interesting that he knows the exact thing that's about to happen before it even happens. And isn't it awesome that the Jesus that we serve is able to make a declaration three times the exact same way and it come to pass the exact same way that Jesus declares it. I mean, he knew whose hands he would be delivered into the hands of. And he knew that if he is to die in those hands, in which he did, that it clearly is to depict that they don't take his life, but he chooses to lay down his life. He is literally showing us that his death is not going to be an accident. It's not a figment of your imagination. No, he is suggesting that sinful men will kill him, but they only kill him because he walks into their hands. But while even they would wonder why Jesus would be willing to give up his life, please understand, brothers, in here, we can shout, declare, we're grateful that he was willing because there is no life that we have that is able to take and give life while yet taking life. It's the beauty of Jesus. He says, I'm willing to lay down my life for each and every brother. Look, understand this. He is saying, I'm willing to lay down my life for you even before you are willing to lay down yours for me. He doesn't wait for us to get our lives together. He doesn't wait for us to confess him. Jesus didn't wait to die while you confessed him, but he knew you. So much so that we're on the cross. He makes it available for you by telling the Father, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do, everything that they're about to do. Father, forgive them for it and accept them because of my sacrifice. He says, I'm willing to lay my life down so that their lives can be picked up. Because I know if I don't lay my life down, 
lives will never be picked up. He says the son of man will be turned over into the hands of men. Ooh, the interesting poetic nature of those words that the son of man will be handed over into the hands of men. The son of man is the way that Jesus is referred to 30 times in the book of Matthew. The son of man, the primary title of what Jesus calls himself. It's to display, display his, his humanity. It's to suggest that, yes, he is God, but he is also man. Because in order for his life to be laid down, brothers, he must be 100% man. Because God cannot die, but man can. The beauty about it is that John 1 and 14 becomes, becomes confirmed that the word becomes flesh. The beauty about the word becoming flesh is that our flesh cannot become the word, but the word must become flesh in order for the word to be confirmed. The beauty of Jesus is that he lays down his deity while picking up his humanity just to put back on his deity. Son of man, the title of his humility, the beauty knowing that while he had a place in heaven seated at the right hand of the Father, he was willing to give up that glory just to come down to look like you and I, even to the point of Isaiah 53 saying he was nothing pleasant to look upon. So he was willing to look like a mess to clean up your mess. He was willing to be dirty so that you could be clean. He was willing to leave his majesty to bring you up to yours. He was willing to give up his place so that you could have a seat. Son of man, the fulfillment of his prophecy. This has been prophesied. And Jesus said, in order for my brothers in 2021 to believe, I must carry out the description of what prophecy has declared, that I must be turned over into the hands of sinful men, but also to declare his deity, to show that even though he was 100% man, he is still 100% God in the flesh. But finally, my brothers, as I get ready to take a seat and bid you adieu for the night, it's to show how powerful he is. It's his omnipotence. Scripture says that he says they will kill him. But on the third day, he will be raised. He will be raised up. But they were greatly distressed. And brothers, there is something that I want to leave with you in all honesty as I get ready to give you the deuce. It's if you focus in on one without the other, you will leave here distressed. Because leaving this mountain, just as the disciples left their mountain, after a few days of journey, they left and went from a mountain to Galilee and instantly they went from joy to distress because they only heard the partial word being spoken to them instead of hearing the entirety of Jesus' statement. Jesus does say, 
I will be turned over into the hands of men and they will kill me. But he concludes it with saying, but on the third day I will rise. The problem with us is that we only hear part of the word. And because we only hear part of the word, we're not excited over the word. But if you only hear part of it, you will only hear part of the movie. Back in the day, a couple years ago, I went to watch this movie called Avengers, the second one prior to the end. And when I watched it again, I watched it the second time with my daughters. And brothers, I'm watching it with my daughters, my oldest daughter, Faith, at the conclusion of it, because Thanos snaps his finger, and really, because Black Panther disappears, she starts to cry. And the movie ends, and my 10-year-old daughter, in as much anger and attitude as a sister from the north side of Fresno would give, stands up in the movie theater and says, Daddy, get our money back. My daughter with this funky attitude, long hair that is braided, has an attitude in the movie theater because the ending of the movie didn't end the way she wanted to. My daughter was under the impression that Thanos had won because he snapped his finger. And what I had to tell my baby is to sit down and wait until the credits finish. Because at the conclusion, y'all, I'm finna shout myself, man. At the conclusion of every Marvel movie, if you leave at the end of the movie and not wait until the credits roll, then you'll miss possibly an introduction to the next movie. And what I love about Marvel is that Marvel has some theological undertones to it. Because what Marvel suggested is that if you leave before the end of the movie is finished, then you will miss your ability to get excited because the movie on the first half is not a period but a comma. And that's exactly what Jesus is trying to tell each of us. If you walk away at the idea that he's turned into the hands of sinners and they kill him, then you will think that the Bible doesn't have a good ending, but there is a word that that finishes this particular sentence that you have to remember, and it's the word but. The word but is your shouting word, brother. It's the word that makes you want to holler and throw both your hands like Marvin Gaye used to. It's the word that should give you a reason to have hope. It's one word, three letters, it's the word but. And early back in my youth, I used to get up on Saturday mornings and watch cartoons, and there used to be this deal in cartoons that was called a conjunction word and they would say conjunction junction what's your function meaning that but is a conjunction what was just said is not as important as what's about to be said and what was just said is that Jesus was killed but what's about to be said is that three days later that same man who was turned into the hands of sinner and was killed will get up with all power in his hands Before I left, I sat down with my daughters, and anytime I get ready to go and preach and I'm gone for a day or two, they like to watch The Lion King with me because that's my favorite movie. As we're watching The Lion King, Jay, I always get to one part and my eyes get teary-eyed. I only cry on two movies, John Q and The Lion King. The part where Mufasa saves Simba and then climbed up a mountain and reached his brother Scar 
and Scar threw him off the mountain and killed him. And my eyes started wallowing, and I started to cry. And this same child that shouted and had an attitude in the movie theater looked at me in my own living room and said, Daddy, why are you crying? I said, baby, because Mufasa is dead. She said, Daddy, you don't have to cry because if you wait for just a few more chapters, if you just hold on a few more chapters, you will find Mufasa over by the Jordan River. After two deacons, Deacon Timon and Deacon Pumbaa, teach him a church hymn called Hakuna Matata. And after a blue booty preacher by the name, y'all don't hear me, Rafiki teaches them a sermon. You will find that Mufasa isn't dead. Mufasa's still alive in the heart of uh, of Simba. And y'all, if I can get excited and if you can get excited over a lion that reappears on a Disney movie, then some of you should be standing on your feet and shouting over a God uh, named Jesus that gets up from the grave in a Bible and shows us that death has no power. So my brothers, let me give you the opportunity to make a choice tonight. The death on on the cross was big. But you can't separate the death from the resurrection. Both the death and the resurrection are equally important to each other. Without the death, we have no hope in God's forgiveness. But without the resurrection, we have no hope in eternal life. Just like you need two wings on an airplane in order to fly, you need both the death on the cross and the resurrection from the grave in order to survive. The reason is because the greatest need that we've ever had is forgiveness of sin. Because you do know that sin separates us from God, right? And until we were forgiven of our sins and cleansed from our iniquities, there was no hope for us to have eternal life. But there was a man that came through 42 generations, brothers, that was so perfect that a clean man was able to wash away dirty sins. With the resurrection, that same man that came through 42 generations needed to have the power to break the curse of sin and death that Satan had over each and every one of us. Just as my brother said when they were singing, it was the lamb that was slain, but it was the king that conquered the grave. Therefore, only one man, I don't care what history courses say, what fake religions and fake faiths try to teach you, there is only one name that has the ability, the power, the presence, and the knowledge to save. It is not Buddha. It is not Muhammad. There is only one that has the qualifications that Isaiah 53 gives us. And based on Isaiah's statement, only one person met the qualifications 
to be able to make such an amazing statement after such an amazing performance on a mountaintop. Only one would have the task of being both omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. That he would go from one mountain where he reveals who he is to another mountain where he dies as who he is to a grave where he gets up with all power as he needs to have. Isaiah 53 and 12 says these words, brothers, therefore I will give him a portion among the great and he will divide the spoils of the strong. But the beauty about it is that it does not end with our sins. It ends with Jesus, who is the only individual qualified to save you from sin. Because he can complete what he started. The Bible says that he has given a name above every name. And based on these qualifications, brothers, tonight, I want to present to you the opportunity to accept this one name as your Lord and Savior. For understand there needed to be someone who was nominated to fill the position of Savior. One who was qualified to live an abused, isolated life of service, die a horrific, undeserving death just to get up and be qualified to have his name listed throughout all of eternity. There needed to be one man that could have a book written about him and that book can be the number one seller throughout decades. There could only be one man that could have that same book be in church pews everywhere, but be also in the, in the side night cabinet or the night bookshelf of every hotel, motel, and holiday inn. Gentlemen, based on the history of every man that has ever been interviewed before now, there hasn't been one prior to the gospel according to Matthew that fit the qualifications of being omnipresent, omniscient, and omnipotent. But today, we sit here at Hume Lake, simply assigned to read out of these 66 books, specifically one, about one individual that has the qualifications to fit this office. And like individuals who are sitting as recruiting directors, and are turning in the possible candidate's name here at Hume Lake to our human resource office, disqualifying anybody else that would fit that office. We now know today, for those of you that didn't know before today, that there was only one person qualified. Understand, brothers, many were interviewed. But in their interview, they were disqualified. Adam was interviewed. But when he was on break, he ate from a fruit from a wrong tree. Noah was interviewed, but they found that Noah was drunk on the job. Abraham was interviewed, but he lied on his application about his relationship with his wife. Isaac was interviewed, but the problem is, is he had the same problem as his daddy. Jacob was interviewed, but he deceived his brother. Joseph had a rape charge against him. Moses had a murder case. Joshua almost got into a fight with a security angel. Samson laid down with the wrong woman, and that wrong woman gave him an improper haircut. Samuel didn't answer the phone on the first ring. David was sleeping around at his place of employment. Solomon had too many women. Jonah left work early on a cruise for Tarshish. 
Jeremiah argued his way out of a job. And Isaiah couldn't see the Lord until somebody else died. And since there was no one on earth that was suitable in order to fit the qualifications and had blemishes on their resume, God refused to hear the nominations from earth and simply decided to choose a new candidate on the floor. And he refused to accept recommendations. He decided that only three in one would recommend the candidate. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. This candidate will not come from a king's party or an opposition party. It would not be from the Green Party or the Tea Party. It would not be from the conservative right or the liberal left. It would be an independent candidate. This candidate would have the power of his father with the appearance of his mother. He would be 100% human and 100% divine. He would be clothed in human flesh but carry the supernatural presence of heaven And with that, God said, since I can't find nobody on earth, I'll just wrap myself up in human flesh and go down myself. This candidate that the nomination team from heaven has selected would come and be willing to die, brothers, on an old rugged cross as a payment for sin. While knowing that even though he did absolutely nothing wrong, the fact that he loved each and every one of us would qualify him to give up his life just to get it back three days later. Gentlemen, today I found the nomination form. And I have attached it to this message. And today I serve as minister, as moderator, to present to each and every one of you who do not know him the proper candidate And based on the selection of heaven, I would like to nominate one man. There is one man who is sometimes called Logos and Ruah and Numa. He's the one that was with the one that threw the stars into the sky and set the moon and stars on opposite positions just to rotate at this proper place so that the sun would not overtake the moon and the moon would not overtake the sun. There is one who was also called the will in the middle of the will. He's called the rose of Sharon and the seed of Abraham. There is one who is called the comforter, the intercessor and the translator. The nomination team presents one name. And today I've come to talk to you about that one name so that one of you who do not know him will accept him as Lord and Savior. He's the same name that Peter yelled out to while sinking in the sea. The same name of the one that walked on water while the water was contrary. The same name that every knee must bow and every tongue must confess. Brothers, today I give you the nomination of Jesus Christ. According to his Roman tax return, he was born in poverty. Research indicates that he cannot be disqualified because he has no interest in business ties to Rome, Samaria, or Palestine. I nominate Jesus. There has been some concern about his birth records. His mother was not married to his supposed daddy. He had not tried to hide it. She, as a teenage mother, out of wedlock, but made it perfectly clear that the father of this child 
was not anyone on earth but was one in heaven. He is literate, highly educated, caught teaching the rabbis in the temple. He believes in practicing health coverage. As a matter of fact, there's testimonies about one woman who was sick for, 17, for 12 years. And after doctors refused coverage for her because she did not have proper health coverage, she just had to touch the hem of his garment and was made whole. He has never rolled back a healing, never repealed a blessing, never made an executive order revoking a deliverance or revoking divine intervention. He never practiced or promoted division or caused segregation, but instead told a Samaritan woman that there comes a time and a place where it will not matter where you worship, for they that worship me must worship me in spirit and in truth. He never came to put his name on a billboard or took out an ad in a newspaper because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He has never protested the death penalty, but accepted his death sentence in death row and was forced to carry out his death sentence via Dolorosa. He's never broken out of prison, but he did break out of hell. He has never been up for re-election because no man can impeach him because no man elected him. He's Mary's baby. He's Joseph's son. And today, brothers, as I make my way back to, to Fresno, I would like to nominate the same man that saved my life when I was nine years old and stepped back in my life when I was 21 and took care of me until I reached this age of 38. I nominate to any brother that doesn't know him, Jesus Christ. And tonight, seated in this sanctuary, I offer Jesus to any brother that doesn't know who he is. He's been everywhere, and he hasn't missed anything. He knows everything about you. Tonight, will you accept him as your Lord and Savior? Can I have every brother stand, please? If you would close your eyes, brothers, right now. Whenever we enter into a nomination, they give this history of why you should elect a person. Tonight, I have given you a history of why you should elect Jesus as your personal Savior. From a mountain to another mountain. He has never changed. And everything that you have done, he's never walked away from you. Every secret sin, every public sin, every embarrassment, and every victory, Jesus has always been there. And for those of you that say, but TZ, you don't understand, I'm so messed up. I'm so dirty. How can a great, amazing God love such a dirty individual? Well, in order to wash a dirty dish, you have to put a rag into the dirty water. And Jesus left his perfect place of heaven as a clean rag 
to come down into a dirty water called earth just to wash you a dirty dish. And if we can try everything else, brothers, and we try it and have to pay for it, why not take a chance and try something that is free? The name of Jesus is free. And the beauty about Jesus is that he's not like us. He doesn't look at your history and decide whether he wants you. As a matter of fact, the longer the mess, the more love he displays. Every individual that was used by God was a mess. And Jesus used them. God loved them. So tonight, if you're here and you came to this mountain to get away, but while you were away, Jesus grabbed you. If you're here, you're saying, you know what, DJ, I just want to make him my number one choice. All I'm going to ask you to do is just raise your right hand. If that's you, just raise that right hand and raise it high. The Bible says if you're ashamed of me in front of men, I'll be ashamed of you in front of my father. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. That hand is up high. I see you, bro. I see you, big brothers. I see you. I see you, I see you, my hand is up with you because I'm giving you a high five from the stage, man. If there's anybody else, I want you just to raise that hand saying, look, I know I've messed up. I know I've jacked up. I'm confessing that I'm a mess, but I serve an incredible, awesome God that cleans up mess. And if that's you, would you just raise your hand? Now I'm going to ask you to do something a little unorthodox. I'm going to ask if you are bold enough to raise your hand. Are you bold enough to walk down to this altar? If you're bold enough to raise your hand, can you come down to this altar? Will you come right here? Will you come right here? I see you, big brother. Come on, if your hand is raised, I want you to come down here. Push. Push past every brother. I want you to come down here. I want you to come down here. I want you to come down here. Come on, come on, come on. Come on, come on. Come on, Bible says the angels in heaven are celebrating, which means the men that are in earth, y'all should be celebrating too. Come on, come on, come on, come on, brothers, come on, brothers, come on, push them, push them. Come on, brothers, make some noise. Come on, push them, push them, push them, push them, push them. Come on, 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 come on. Is there another brother? 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 Brothers that are down here, it's all I want you to do. All of us have been there, and I've been there. I just want you to lift up both hands in the form of a surrender. I want you to lift up just both of them in the form of surrender. Hands open up to heaven. That means you're telling God, I ain't got nothing to hide, Lord. I ain't got nothing to hide. I'm going to tell you this, brothers, and we're going to walk through this confession. The beauty about what you're doing is you're in the form of a surrender. Like when a police officer pulls you over and says, lift up both hands, because I need to make sure you ain't got nothing to hide. Right now, God is looking at you and saying, both hands are lifted. You're in the form of surrender. Now I can arrest you and take you with me. So, brothers, this is what I want you to do. 
I want you to repeat after me, Lord Jesus, I have sinned against you. And based on the biblical narrative, I am a sinner. But tonight, in front of these brothers and in front of my God in heaven, I confess that you are Lord and Savior. I believe that you died. I believe you were buried. But I believe you got up with all power in your hands. So, Father, take me as your son and snatch me away from an enemy. So, devil, I serve you notice. I've switched sides. I no longer belong to you. I belong to Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. I need some brothers to scream. So, brothers, this is what just happened. This is what just happened. Just now, prior to you coming up here, your soul was in court. The devil was your prosecutor. And he had a stack of papers on everything that you had ever done. And God the judge was behind that judge's desk, ready to sentence you to hell. And just at the right time, the court-appointed attorney walked in. And I can't tell you what he looks like, but I can tell you how you can identify him. He'll be that one that has holes in his hands and holes in his feet. And the beauty about your defense attorney that's been appointed to you is that he has a relationship with the judge. And when he walked in that courtroom, he walked past you, looked at you, and said what every good defense attorney will say to the one that they're representing, shut up and sit down. And that defense attorney walked up to the judge, whispered something in the judge's ear, went back and sat by you, and the judge took his gavel and said these words to you, case dismissed. So brothers, congratulations, because tonight at Hume Lake, just like the game Monopoly, you just got your get out of jail free card.